August the 6th, my wife and I celebrated our 40th wedding anniversary. It was a very blessed weekend of reflecting on God's faithfulness. Then August the 7th, I flew to Haiti to help teach there at a pastor's teacher's conference, along with two other ministers that went, 160 pastors and teachers from Haiti there. Some walked an hour and a half to the meeting. It was a very blessed time. And the Haitian believers are very zealous for the Lord. Uh, they sing at the top of their voices by memory for an hour before the preaching. No songbooks, except maybe the leader has a songbook. But it was a blessed opportunity. And uh, everything obviously needed to be translated, but I learned one morning that the Haitian roosters, they crow in English. And they don't have any accent. They do it at 4 o'clock in the morning during the week and 3 o'clock Sunday morning. <laughs> Another real highlight was a burden God laid upon my heart to visit the witch doctor next door to the mission compound. Madame Mosey, a lady, 72 years old, I had a burden to go share with her about the importance of receiving Jesus Christ. Uh, unfortunately, we didn't have a good translator at that point, none of our translators we had earlier. But I asked her if I could pray with her right in her house, and she said yes. She has a soul. So I pray, I mean, she really thanked us for coming. And I pray for another opportunity to perhaps visit her again. Um, Jesus' words to his disciples in Matthew 18, unless you humble yourself like a little child, you cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. What was Jesus meaning by those words? Recently, I was thinking about the words that Jesus shared in Matthew 18 and also the words that are shared in Psalm 46. And the question came to my mind, how do we humble ourselves like a little child and learn to know the power of God by being still. Taken from Matthew 18 and Psalm 46. In Matthew 18, verse 1, the disciples, they came to Jesus and they asked him, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now, what did the disciples have in mind when they asked Jesus that question? 
Were they thinking that, uh, wondering what they need to do to get into the kingdom of heaven? Were they wondering, are there levels in heaven and how can I get to the top? Jesus answered that question by going to the audience and getting a little child, setting that child right in front, in the midst of them. And then he said, Truly, I say to you, except or unless you humble, uh, excuse me, unless you be converted, unless you turn around your thinking and become as little children, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. And he continues on and he says, Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, that person is going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. What does Jesus see in little children that we need to observe and learn what it means to humble ourselves like a little child? There are several things that came to my mind. Number one, a little child is completely trusting, believing, submitted to, and relying on someone else for survival. A little child left to himself or herself could not survive. A little child is very dependent upon parents for food, for protection, for comfort, for direction, and Jesus is saying, unless you become like a little child in that way, you cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. Secondly, a little child has no worries about food or clothing or protection. It's provided for them. Jesus says, Unless you become like a little child in that way, no worries. You won't make it into the kingdom of heaven. Thirdly, a little child is teachable, a learner. And they continue to learn. They ask a lot of questions. I used to ask my dad, why, why, why? He almost got tired of it. But a child learns. And Jesus is saying, unless you become like a little child that way, teachable, you won't make it into the kingdom of heaven. Fourth, a little child is very forgiving and really carries no grudges. They learn that later. A little child may cry when a toy is taken away or they get hurt, but after a while they're back playing. Just happy playing. Unless you become like that, forgiving, you won't make it into the kingdom of heaven. Fifth, a little child can bring great joy. There's great joy when a a child is born. And after a month or so, they begin smiling back to you. They bring you great joy. And you see the stages of growth in a little child. They start crawling, they start walking and talking. They bring great joy. 
In Luke 18, 15 to 17, the people there, they, they brought the infants and the children to Jesus so that Jesus would just touch them. And when the disciples saw that, they rebuked them. And Jesus was very displeased about that. And he called them to himself and he said, Suffer or allow the little children to come unto me and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child shall not enter therein. You teach a little child about God and about heaven, they just believe, they receive it. And Jesus, I believe, is saying, I want you to believe that way about my words. God wants us to be childlike, but not childish. As 1 Corinthians 13 says, when I became a man, I put away childish things. So a little child is completely trusting, um, believing, relying on, no worries, teachable, forgiving, no grudges, bringing great joy and believing and receiving the kingdom of God. That's the way God wants us to be. Now let's turn our Bibles to Psalm 46 there. Psalm 46 is a tremendous psalm in helping us to understand how to humble ourselves like a little child by getting a better understanding of who God is and how God asks us to relate to him. A person's view of God determines how he or she will believe. What a person believes about God determines how they will live. A person who does not believe in God may not believe that there is a, he a, a hell and a heaven or a judgment day coming where we need to give an account to God. The one who wrote Psalm 46 understands something about the mighty workings of God. In this psalm, God invites us to know him more and more and to believe that he is Lord of all, that he is in control of all. Psalm 46 tells us how we can know God by being still. Verse 10, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. And I really appreciate what uh, Harry Foster uh, shared a bit uh, in an article about being still. We notice in Psalm 46 verse 1, it says about God that God is our refuge. He is our, meaning our shelter. He's our hope. And then it says, and strength, or our power and security. It says, a very present help in trouble. I mean, he is easy to find. He is available. He is right there during times of that trouble, meaning tight places or adversity or affliction. Then he says, therefore, now because of that, Will we not fear, though the earth be removed, though the mountains be carried to the midst of the sea, uh, 
Though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains be shaken uh, with the swelling thereof, Selah. Stop and think about that. Because God is our hope and our security, we do not need to fear even if things around us seem to be falling apart. And then he says in verse 4, There is a river, the streams whereof shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. That river, to me, speaks of a refreshing hope, kind of like Psalm 1 says about the person or a tree that is planted by the river of water, brings forth fruit, uh, leaf will not wither, whatever that person does, it's going to prosper as that person delights in God's law and meditates day and night on his word. Verse 5, God is in the middle of this holy place of the Most High, ready to help. Verse 6, the heathen raged, but when God speaks, the earth melts, or in other words, the people tremble. Then in verse 7 is a very important and a powerful verse. It says, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge, Selah. Stop and think about that. Then he invites us to come and see the works of the Lord. What desolations or what ruins and wonders he does in the earth. You know, he, he makes the wars to stop. He breaks the bow. He cuts the spear apart. He burns the chariot in the fire. To me, that is saying that God can make people powerless in their own strength. Because of that, verse 10, because of all that God can do, verse 10 and 11 are two key verses in this psalm. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. And then the next verse, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge, Selah. We notice verse 7 and 11 are exactly the same words. Lord refers to the commander-in-chief who has no equal. There is no one equal to God. He is above all. And then hosts, a lot of persons... The hosts of heaven which cannot be conquered or defeated. So these two verses together are saying the commander-in-chief who has no equal, who rules the armies of heaven is with us, Selah. Stop and think about that. Now what does it mean to be still and to know that God is God? There's several examples in the Bible where God's children went through experiences where they needed to learn what it means to be still and to let God show himself powerful. One example is in Joshua chapter 6. There in verse 1, it says that the city of Jericho was shut so no one could go in or, or come out. I mean, the doors were locked. And then God said to Joshua, I have given Jericho into your hand. Verse 3, he says, you are to go around that city once a day for six days. Then on the seventh day, 
there are uh, seven priests. They shall go before the ark with the seven trumpets of ram's horns. They are to go around that city seven times, and the priest shall blow the trumpet. And when you make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people are to shout with a great shout, and the wall of that city shall fall flat. That is what's going to happen, is what he was saying. Joshua 6.10 is a very important verse about being still and knowing that God is all-powerful and in control. Joshua told the people, during the first six days, here in Joshua 6.10, he says, you are not to shout. That was the first instruction. Secondly, you are not to make any noise with your voice. Thirdly, not one word shall come out of your mouth until the day that I tell you to shout. Then you are to shout. Now, that is a good example of being still and knowing that God is all-powerful. Be still here does not mean that they were to be paralyzed. It does not mean that they were to be idle. It does not mean that they were to do nothing. Being still, their silence was an activity of faith. Every day for six days, they were to get up early and they were to march around those city walls. And as they walked, they needed to walk in complete silence. As they looked at those big walls, they may have been tempted to think about or to even talk about this impossible task. They could have been tempted to say, why are we doing this? We can't do this. Or we should do it this way or that way. They were not to speak one word. Their walk was to be done in quietness and confidence. Or confidence meaning trust. If they would have talked, they could have started reasoning among themselves and arguing or complaining or what shall we do here or how are we going to do this? When God's people start reasoning and arguing and complaining, there is little evidence of God's power and that's exactly what the way it would have been here. What really mattered is knowing that God is in charge and he is in control of everything. You know, that means we also need to learn to be still. Just like the children of Israel walking around those city walls. They needed to be still to be quiet, 
but active in their faith and obedience to God. In quietness and in confidence shall be your strength. You know, there's an exercise in prayer and worship that every believer needs to learn to do. And that is to be still. You know, prayer in the Bible is asking, it's seeking, it's knocking. But prayer is not always us doing all the talking. Prayer is also being still and listening to God. In your personal time with God, how much time do you spend just being still, just marveling at salvation, at God's word, at his power and greatness and miracles. You may be here today walking around some impossible walls but you are quietly obeying God and expecting God to do everything according to what he said he would do. Being still doing, during prayer time is not necessarily a waste of time. It may be the very exercise of faith God wants us to do. Another example in helping us to understand how to humble ourselves like a little child and learn to know God by being still is in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. King Jehoshaphat was very afraid when he got the news that there was an army marching out against them to declare war and to fight against them. Now earlier in 2 Chronicles 18 verse 3, King Jehoshaphat, he made a very wrong decision in making an agreement with an evil king named Ahab to go out and fight against another group. Then in 2 Chronicles 19, verse 2, there was a prophet that came and he met Jehoshaphat and he said, Should you help the wicked and love those that hate the Lord? Because of what you have done, God's wrath is upon you. Imagine what a message. Then he says, However, there are some good things that in you. You have taken down the idols out of the land and you have prepared your heart to seek the Lord. Now in 2 Chronicles 20, verse 3 and 4, Jehoshaphat, he humbled himself when he got news of this army coming against them. And he asked the people to fast. And he asked for the Lord's help. 
Jehoshaphat says in 2 Chronicles 20, verse 12, O our God, will you not judge them or will you not stop them? For we have no strength or power against this great army of people that is coming against us. Neither do we know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Jehoshaphat's attitude here is quite different than it was in 2 Chronicles 18. He says, uh, Jehoshaphat is saying, God, we cannot win this battle without your help. He is humbling himself, and he is admitting his own lack of strength. And then as the people, says in verse 13, I'm just kind of paraphrasing this, as the people from every part of Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and their children, the Spirit of the Lord came upon one of the men standing there named Jehaziel and said, Jehaziel was saying, listen to me, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem, and you King Jehoshaphat. The Lord says, don't be afraid or discouraged by this great army, for the battle is not your battle, but it is God's battle. God will have mercy, and he will help when people humble themselves, and they simply admit to God, God, we cannot do this in our own strength. And he says, tomorrow you go out and you fight against them. Verse 17, you will not need to fight in this battle. He says, set yourselves. That means take your places. Stand still. In other words, be still. And see the salvation of the Lord or see the deliverance of the Lord. Don't be afraid or discouraged. Tomorrow you go out against them, for the Lord will be with you. Verse 18, Jehoshaphat, he bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem there, they fell before the Lord, worshiping him. Some of the people, they stood up to praise the Lord, God of Israel, with a loud voice. The next morning they rose up early, and Jehoshaphat stood before all the people and he said, Believe in the Lord your God, so shall you be established, or he will give you victory. Believe the prophets, and you will prosper. So in verse 21, Jehoshaphat, he talked with the people. He appointed singers that should praise the beauty of holiness. They went out before the army. And they were just simply saying, praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. Imagine winning a war by just simply praising the Lord. But you know, we also can win the war, the battle against Satan, by praising the Lord. There are two things he doesn't like, is when believers pray and when believers sincerely praise the Lord. So in verse 22, he, they began to sing and to praise the Lord, and the Lord caused these armies that came out against Jehoshaphat to simply fight among themselves, and they destroyed each other. There was not one of their enemies that escaped. 
Verse 27, the Jehoshaphat and the people of Judah and Jerusalem, they returned to Jerusalem with great joy because the Lord had given them deliverance from their enemies. Verse 29, when the surrounding kingdoms heard that the Lord himself fought against the enemies of Israel, the fear of God came upon them. Imagine what an impact that could be upon the world today. If the world would see how God fights for his people. There are enemies we are against. It says in Ephesians 6.12. We are not fighting against people of flesh and blood. But against persons without bodies. The evil rulers of the unseen world. Those mighty satanic beings and great evil princes of darkness who rule the world and against huge numbers of wicked spirits. And Ephesians 6 goes on to say how we need to be equipped with the whole armor of God to battle against these enemies. Like Jehoshaphat, we cannot win over our enemy in our own strength, and in our own power. We need to humble ourselves like a little child, to totally trust in our Heavenly Father for His provision, for His protection, for His direction. The third example in helping us to understand how to humble ourselves like a little child and learn to know God by being still is in John chapter 2. There was a wedding in Cana of Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. Uh, Jesus' disciples, uh, they were also, Jesus and his disciples were also invited to this wedding. And it seems that Mary may have been somewhat in charge of the food at this wedding. Because she knew when the wine ran out, when the ruler of the feast was not even aware of it. Mary came to Jesus and he said, they have no wine. And Jesus said, I mean, literally translated, it's this. What is that to me and to you, woman? My hour is not yet come. Now that, when Jesus was speaking to his mother, and that word for woman is no word of disrespect. In fact, it is a word of deep respect. How many hours do you think that it was before Jesus performed this miracle of turning the water into wine? When was his hour come? In verse 5 is a very important verse. Jesus' mother said to the servants, Whatever he says to you, do it. That is the key. When Mary said that, she was making it very clear that she is no longer in charge. I am leaving it and I am relying on the Lord Jesus. She did not get anxious or worried because they were out of wine. 
She simply humbled herself by admitting, Jesus, you take charge. She learned to be still. She didn't become anxious or worried or try to figure out how to get out of this predicament. When Jesus saw that, Mary had given the whole situation over to him. Then, and only then, was his hour come to work. How many times does God do the same thing for you or me? We struggle, we fuss, we may worry, we may complain about a situation that we are in, but God is waiting for his hour to come, to work. When we will say, God, I don't know what to do, would you do it? God, you take over. I will do whatever you want me to do. There were six water pots standing nearby, and Jesus said, fill the water pots with water. And it says that they fill them to the brim. That's called brimful obedience. The servants did not say, we need wine, not water. They did not ask, how full is full? They filled them to the brim, as full as they could make them without spilling them. Then Jesus said, Now take some and give it to the ruler of the feast. When the ruler of the feast tasted it, he wondered why this was the best was saved till last. You know, when we humble ourselves like a little child in trusting God and learning to be still, and let God be in charge. He does it better than what we can do it. The fourth example in helping us to understand how to humble ourselves like a little child and learn to know God by being still. In John chapter 6, verse 3, Jesus went up into a mountain and he sat with his disciples. And when Jesus looked up, he saw that there were many people coming to him. And then Jesus turned to Philip and he asked Philip, where do we find food for all these people to eat? Now, it says there that Jesus asked Philip that question just to see what he would say. Jesus himself knew what he would do. Now, if the same account in Matthew 14, the disciples, they wanted, uh, it says there, they wanted to send the multitudes away so they could go into town and buy food for, for themselves. But here in John 6, Philip started figuring. 200 penny worth or 200 denarii 
worth of bread wouldn't be enough to feed each one of these even a little bit. And then another disciple, Andrew there, he said, you know, there's a little boy out here. He has five loaves, barley loaves of bread, and two little fish. But what is that among so many? In verse 9 there, Jesus said, make the people sit down. So they sat down. There were about 5,000 men there, and it could have been more than that with women and children. But it's interesting that Jesus did not feed the 5,000 until they all sat down. And that instruction is in harmony with what Psalm 46 says, Be still and know that I am God. Be still in your advice in sending the people away. Be still in your thinking that there is not enough money to buy food for all these people. Be still in your thinking about or reasoning about five loaves of bread and two fish not being enough. Be still. Sit down. And rest in me and know that I am God, I believe, is in essence what Jesus was saying. Jesus was teaching the disciples and the multitudes to find their rest and their trust in God and that nothing is too hard for Jesus. Jesus took the loaves of bread and the fish He gave thanks, gave it to the disciples to give to the people who were sitting down. When everyone had enough to eat, Jesus said, Now I want you to gather everything that is left over. Let nothing be lost. How many baskets full did they gather? How many disciples gave distributed food to the people? How many disciples needed to learn what it means to humble themselves like a little child and to be still and know that God is God and nothing is too hard for him. The fifth example in helping us to understand how to humble ourselves like a little child and learn to know God by being still is in Acts chapter 2. In Acts 1... Verse 4 and 5, Jesus commanded his disciples not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. Jesus said in verse 5, you know, John the Baptist, he baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Jesus then goes on to say what the effects of this baptism of the Holy Spirit will have in Acts 1.8 but you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and all over the world. That was the effect that it was going to have. And as we come to Acts chapter 2, what were the disciples doing in the house where they were waiting for the promise of the Father? When the Holy Spirit came upon them so powerfully, Were they there planning some strategy and how to carry on Christ's work? No, they were not doing that at all. 
They made no plans. They had no plans of their own. Were they praying? It does not say right then that they were praying when they were sitting in the house. Earlier, they were in one accord and praying. But right here, they were sitting and they were waiting for the promise of the Father. <clears throat> it says they were in one accord on the day of Pentecost. They were in the house sitting. They were sitting and waiting on the promise of the Father. That again is in harmony with Psalm 46. Be still and know that I am God. The disciples here were learning what it means to humble themselves, to totally trust God, to make the next move. They weren't going to do it on their own. They were learning what it means to rest in God and to wait for the promise of the Father. When the disciples humbled themselves and were willing to be still, they experienced the most powerful evidence of the presence and power of God they had ever seen. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit that gave them the boldness to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with all those around them. This divine power came to all those who first learned to be still. The fifth example in helping us to understand how to humble ourselves like a little child and to learn to know God by being still is in Acts 12. The disciples of Jesus, they were facing real persecution. James had just been killed with the sword, it says there. And here Peter was put in prison. He was chained between two soldiers. The very next day, Peter was going to be killed. The church was continually and diligently praying. The point that we want to make in this story is in Acts chapter 12, verse 6. Peter was sleeping chained between two soldiers. We may wonder, why wasn't Peter praying? Or worrying? Or afraid? Because plans were that he was going to be killed the next day. Peter very likely had been praying earlier, but now he was resting. He was trusting. He was being still. He was letting God be in control of the whole situation. Now, how many of us would be doing what Peter was doing if we knew we were going to be killed tomorrow morning? He was fast asleep, so relaxed, so sound asleep, that the angel came and hit him on the side to wake him up and said, Peter, get up, put on your sandals, put on your coat and follow me. Peter got up, the chains fell off, he followed the angel out of prison, and Peter thought he was having a vision or a dream. 
When Peter realized this was real and not a vision or a dream, he said, Now I know for sure that the Lord sent his angel to deliver me from the hand of Herod. Peter learned to know that God is powerful and in total control of circumstances by just learning to just be still. He learned what it means to humble himself like a little child by trusting God completely, by relying on God totally, and by resting in him. Now we have some questions for each one of us to ask ourselves. And God spoke to me, first of all, about these. Number one, do I humble myself like a little child by trusting completely in the Heavenly Father, believing that He will do what He said He will do? As someone said, humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. It's not putting ourselves down, but it's lifting up Christ and thinking of others. Second question, have I learned to rest rather than worry? Have I learned to be completely still and to let God be totally in charge? Another question, would God view me as a patient person? Or do I easily get angry or frustrated? Is God pleased with how I spend my time in prayer or Bible study on the internet, on Facebook, on the cell phone, or other activities, whatever it may be. Is there victory in my thought life? Would I be ashamed if others could read my thoughts? Do I welcome trials and testings as James, James 1 says to do? Do I give thanks in everything or is my first thought to murmur or to complain? When, I, when others do wrong, do I feel less love toward them? Do I pray for them or criticize them in my heart? Do I remove the beam out of mine own eye before I point out the moat in someone else's. The beam, or the moat being someone else's little sins, the beam being my wrong thinking toward them. Do I readily forgive? Do I speak kindly even when others speak unkind? Humble yourself like a little child and learn to know the power of God by being 
still. Let's bow for prayer.